G'day, Rob Herbert here. Just finished recording a podcast, We Can't Camp Down Under. During this podcast, we touch on the very serious nature of PTSD, anxiety, depression in men's health. If you think or find that you are or a friend is suffering from PTSD, depression or anxiety, the first point of call would be to contact your local GP. Make sure you reach out to your mates, discuss how you're feeling, and know that you are not alone. Thanks for listening. I hope that you find the information in the podcast useful and you continue to listen. Have a good day. Every day's worth living. See ya. Hey guys, welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Cuyuga Broadheads. As temps warm up around Australia and hunting tends to slow down for most of us, it's a great time to test new gear, fine-tune our setups for our next hunt, whether it be six weeks' time or six months for the fallow and red deer rut in 2019. Now would be a great time to take advantage of the 10% discount at CuyugaBroadheads.com. Choose your polar cuts in either 125, 150 or 175 grains and simply use the HCDU10 code on checkout and change the outcome of your next hunt. Cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> was that? That, that was the man that would like to be a sparrow. That was the Rogers Bowbird. <laughs> <laughs> He's in his Bower or Bow. <laughs> Depends how you take it, I guess. <laughs> I'd much prefer to take it in my Bower bird. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, mate. Does this pretty little dance in blue? Oh, that's a positive start, anyway. I think. Should we have done this um, maybe three or four drinks ago? Or? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Pre dinner. <laughs> uh, happy days. Uh, very good. So, what are we going to talk about? So, I think we need to lead in with Herbie and give Herbie the floor. Yeah. You reckon? Talk about some of the. Things that we, we've constantly been talking about it, so give him the opportunity to talk about some of the things that he's passionate about, and then go from there. Open slather after that. Give Marta the opportunity to show his skills on the mic. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to reference this photo. Ain't got none. <laughs> How serious he is. <laughs> You're going to have to flick me on that picture. I've got you in the reflection. It's his energy. <laughs> so Herbie's gone all quiet as soon as I turn record on. Well, when you're ready to go, well am I too loud? No, no, you're good. It's I gonna be it's gonna be loud for us, but I can change volumes yeah, later. Okay. So. Everyone's about the same I think now. Marty Fucking Michael, testing. Ja- Michael Jackson over here. Like Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> testing, testing. Yeah, that's better. Nepal- you need to push the button. Napoleon's back in. Oh. <laughs> Mike with Mike. Oh, all right. Well, let's let's roll. I still can't get over the first recording. Yeah, I'd, I would like yeah. to get over that. No, no, that, there's an intro in that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Well, boys, we are in hunting camp. Well yep. and truly in hunting camp. Probably one of the flashiest hunting camps I've been in. I'm with uh, Mr. Rob Herbert. How are you, buddy? G'day. Good. Mr. Josh Rogers, Marty. Mr. Marty Phillips. Here you go, mate. Good, mate. I'm glad you turned that mic back on. That was good. No dramas. Yeah, right on cue. <laughs> we've uh, 
it's raining at the moment, so hopefully it sets a bit of a, a bit of a theme. Mm. And uh, we've gone for a little hunt this afternoon. You're right there, Josh. You can still fit your drink in there, mate. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, went for a bit of a hunt this afternoon, and I scared another deer, which is good. I'm getting real good at this stuff. Um, we uh, were very lucky to to get an invite down from Rob, so thank you, mate. No dramas. It, uh, he's got a very special little spot in Western Australia, and uh, no one will ever find it. <laughs> if you go to Western Australia, you're just not going to find it. So. No. Simple as that. Just look at the map for the glory hole. <laughs> it's signposted. It's definitely signposted. It's got a big lock gate. <laughs> With doll's heads on the track. It yeah. does. It does. No, absolutely beautiful spot. Rob's owned this one for a few years and I feel very fortunate to be invited and uh, we had a big feed. Josh, the master chef on the, uh, on the fire with a, with a roast. It's good stuff, mate. It's really good stuff. Who's tapping that mic? It'd have to be Michael Jackson over there. It'd have to be. <laughs> so Rob, I know we're. Um, it's been a little while. We've we've tried to sort of line this up. I know we're back in the expo. I think we met, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do this. But uh, I don't think we. I think the wait was worth it, mate. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, I'm sure plenty of people sort of know that uh, you're one of the knife maker. And I was very fortunate to get a little surprise this morning, which I'm. Um, you know, I'm still trying to... <laughs> t- is that a knife? <laughs> that is, it's definitely a knife. Um, yeah, absolutely shocked. It was an absolutely beautiful piece of art. So, But um, tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Um, you know, for those that don't know you, you know, how, uh, how not just knife making, but life in general, what's your story? And um, we'll all jump in as well. Cool. Well, first I'd like to uh, welcome everyone to my spot. Um, it's been... A long time coming, as you said, um, and you guys came in early this morning. I think you bunked down at about two o'clock in the morning. Um, it was a big night. Yeah, massive drive to get here. So I do appreciate the effort. Um, and I think that that some of the things that um, most hunters share is that bond in being able to to open something like this. Open the doors. Yeah, and the gate. And, the gate and let people in. So me. Uh, I guess um, going back, rolling back the years, um, when I left school I joined the Army Reserve um, and did full-time service, did that for quite a few years um, and did a few other bits and pieces in between, then left and joined Victoria Police and I was a policeman for quite a while, Um, saw lots of different service in different areas um, and that's where a lot of my PTSDs related to. Um, a lot of people that do follow me on the socials know that um, I'm quite open and, and uh, like to, I guess, bring to the fore um, men's health and, and how we deal with that sort of stuff. Um, I left the police force and went over to the Game Management Authority as a senior game officer for Gippsland. Yep. And did that for a number of years, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But uh, the Black Dog um, PTSD... Um, sort of had its way and I was unable to continue working um, and through the last I guess in the background of policing um, and through the more work with GMA I've been making knives for a long time I've been a keen hunter for a long time and I think that's what sort of started me off with knife making but I found that the knives that were produced commercially just weren't up to standard 
you know, always going blunt. I was always having to resharpen them. They didn't fit my hand properly, all that sort of thing. And I think that when you do hunt um, a lot, you get a bit of an idea of what you think is a really good hunting knife. Um, and I found that making the knives was really good therapy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that I could switch off from, something I felt that um, f- switch off from life um, and just go out to the workshop and make a knife, feeling a sense of achievement and getting something done at the end of the day really helped my depression and anxiety. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, a big, you know, a big part of us probably coming together today, apart from a hunt and get to meet each other and share plenty of laughs, which uh, hopefully carry on very shortly. But, um, you know, on a serious note, you know, part of this was was obviously to bring, you know, some awareness to it um, with PTSD and in um, and and the likes of that. Um, you know, we're seeing, you know, quite a few people suffering it, and, and probably not enough people talking about it. But give us a bit of a background um you know as much as you, you should want to um a bit of a background of of what it you know what it feels like what it what it does um you know and and sort of put yourself put others into a position of you know just what a day-to-day sort of yeah. struggle with it goes um i have sort of charted that a little through my um social media accounts and i guess to try to encapsulate that for myself Everyone's a little different, but I went from a high-functioning um, team member to not being able to remember five things on a shopping list that my wife wanted me to get from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of um, walking into the um, shops, not knowing what I had to get, then buying a whole lot of stuff, hoping that there was those five things in that whole lot of stuff, then getting home and finding that the five things wasn't in that stuff mm. made me feel even worse yeah um some people might say well couldn't you ring your wife but then that feeling of once again i've got to ring my wife to ask her about milk bread yep. sugar and eggs mm-hmm. um only added to that weight of feeling of um you know not being able to control your day and <clears throat> and then go to work and operate in a in a um high intense sort of environment where you were you know able to know who was where and what jobs were rolling and um who was knocking off and starting work and then going home it was a really strange sort of conundrum to be in um and when you had your quiet moments and you'd sort of go home and look at your kids and you found mentally that you're disconnecting with everything at home you started to feel very isolated um and there's been a fair, you know, a fair amount of stigma around, um, particularly men, um, who feel that they are struggling, um, being a father, um, being a, being a, just a, a man in a group of men. Um, so they don't raise it, they don't talk to their mates about it. Uh, it can be deeply, deeply um, saddening to see people who can't because of that feeling of um, being properly judged either at work if they bring it up at work it can reduce your ability to be looked at for supervision roles or um give an extra task because they you know you get put into that oh well herbie's you know is a mental case don't load him up anymore yeah that doesn't help Not at all. you know and then when you um know that you aren't 
functioning well at home as an individual, you get a double whammy yeah. from that stuff. So um, I don't know if that sort of uh, explains that a little bit, but I was, I guess, fortunate enough that I had some, I've got a lot of strong military connections mm-hmm. back with my friends and um, in the policing family as well, that um, I decided that I didn't want to be that individual and that I needed help. Yep. Uh, and I took some steps to go and get that help. And it was it, all I can say is that it's a very hard step because it's um, red taped by insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, say for myself personally to be able to get the um, to get onto the PTSD program at the Repats Hospital in Melbourne, Workcover had to approve your case. So um, you had to go and then be subjected to seeing a whole array of different um, independent psychologists, psychiatrists, sitting exams, you know, albeit sitting in a room and having to retell your story time and time and time again. Because insurance companies certainly work hard at blocking those paths because then if they, um, if you go to the course, they've got to pick up the cost. Yeah. Yep. And for me, that was a real travesty that a lot of that stuff sort of came down to the dollar, not down to the individual, you know. And um, it can be a real blocker because sitting in a room with a psychologist um, and more so with a psychiatrist, you don't even know that person and that person's working for the insurance company. They're not there. It was one thing I learnt after seeing multiple psychiatrists and undergoing these exams that they actually weren't there to treat you. So while you hadn't got to speak to anyone, you'd sit in a psychiatrist's room getting examined, getting asked questions about what happened, how did that affect you, how do you sleep, everything down to real intimate stuff between a man and a woman at home. Um, you know, And you think, oh, this guy's actually tr- trying to help me because you've never got to tell that story. Yep. And then the feeling of absolute disappointment at the end of that 45 minutes for an hour where they're not. So you're left walking out on the street, unpeeled, you know, raw and exposed, and no further treatment. And um, that in itself, for a lot of people, can be the one time that they go and they say, that just felt terrible. They have um, the, the, the after effects of all the nightmares and all the rest of it, and no one there to help them. So they don't get, they don't get that professional help. So moving on, I guess, um, I underwent, I guess, nearly two years of that yep. um, before I got approval. And it's a long time for someone to, you know, it's not easy. So then I started to um, see um, the people down at the Repats Hospital, which was really helpful for me. Um, and going into a program with um, people that were trained professionally around being able to help you deal with just that very basic how do you feel today you know not being made to feel that you weren't any less an individual for the community um, and, and I think too that talking about the word community a lot of people that are in either emergency services or in the military and I'm talking from those because it's my background they join that they're attracted to that sort of work because they want to better the world community or their own community local community so when you feel very isolated from that, you, you you can get very bitter too. That you know, goddamn, I served the community, you know, twenty six years in uniform, and now I'm just 
piffed aside like a used battery, you know. Um, so people can it's, it can be another blocker to, to getting help through different services. Um, so I've been very lucky to have my knife making. Um, a lot of people don't, and I feel very sad when people haven't got anything that they can move on to or or keep the time that they have alone, which can be a very dangerous time, um, because you spend too much time thinking about the stuff that's in your head mm-hmm. and not being productive. And I, I know a lot of mates who end up drinking way too much and end up with alcoholic problem. Throwing that on top of depression and anxiety doesn't help. Yeah. They get off their meds, all that sort of stuff. And even the word medication, I'm taking medication. I have um, post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't like the word disorder because I think it has a connotation to a disorder. Mm. Um, I, I saw a lot of trauma in my life. And because of the trauma that I saw, I'm trying to deal with it. That's yep. what PTSD is. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to say that I'm recovering. Um, I don't know how long that's going to be, um, that I've had to take medication. And taking medication, even for some people, is a stigma in itself. Mm-hmm. I take medication for a mental health issue. You say that to some people and they're like, whoa, you must be a weirdo. Mm. They don't see that um, the effect that when you have no um, psychological assistance, you need more chemical assistance from a professional point of view so it can balance out your ups and downs. Yep. Um, and when you're um, able to get more psychological assistance and you can reduce your medication so um, I guess to wind that up a little bit I feel that uh, my family's been the thing that I really feel the worst about is the the workload that I've put on my family to live with me Mm -hmm. Um, the missed opportunities that I've had with my kids um, when I haven't been able to through PTSD which is very difficult for them to understand and for anyone else to understand you come home and you sit in your chair and you stare at the TV and your kids are talking to you and you don't even hear them, mm. you know, because you're so far away trying to deal with your own demons, you know, and you go, sorry, what are you saying, doll? Oh, don't worry about it, Dad. You know, and, and you miss that opportunity. You don't get, yeah. ever get that back. So it's not that I'm trying to catch up or, um, you know, relive time gone. I'm looking to the future and saying, well, what? Moving on you know, value add can I do to their life now Mm. where I have the ability through treatment and medication to be able to provide a more stable um, parent and father Um, and they have some understanding that sometimes I just can't, I still, I don't like crowds, I don't like airports, I don't like all that sort of stuff and it's a big thing for me to have to travel to go and see them or do other stuff that other parents might find normal but at least I think on the ground, on on there for them. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, yeah. we've jumped into this quickly because I know it was, you know, it was sort of heavy, heavy yeah. on your heart to 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 talk about it. And so, if you don't mind me asking a few questions, um, from someone that you know doesn't, you know, I, I definitely support it, but don't understand it. I'm, I'm very honest with that because I think for someone that doesn't have it, we'll never be able to understand it. Yep. Um, for someone that you know could be feeling that they may have those, you know these um concerns yep um what was what was the first few things early on for you um obviously you're you're a uh, an example that someone that's been able to handle it and move forward with it but what's the first things um that you sort of did that could possibly help someone that may be listening today that you know that, that could be feeling those things what, what would you sort of recommend i think um the first thing for me um 
is to go and see GP. Whether you know going to the doctors is difficult or not, but at least you're going to see someone that is trained. There's nothing worse than speaking to your mates about how you feel. They have no idea about it, and they just say, oh, harden up, mate. You'll be right. Or the other thing, don't say anything. Yeah, so I think going to a GP and saying, these are the thoughts I've had, whether they're suicidal, and that's something that needs to be spoken about, you know, because you can get to that point and where you just feel so worthless to your family and to your community that that's something that comes across the table. But it's something you don't want to talk to anyone about, that I'm feeling suicidal, because it's something that um, you don't want to scare your family, you don't want to scare your friends, you know, but you need to speak to someone about it. So it's a snowball effect. You it feel is. you can't talk, you can't talk, you can't talk, but at the same time you need to. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I think um, for me, finding a psychologist um, locally has been really good. I was having to drive four hours to Melbourne because it was the closest... Uh, psychologist that had any skills in in train in training in being able to deal with people with um, PTSD, but CGP, go and see a psychologist even if you have to pay yourself for the first couple of you know sessions. It's amazing what a good psychologist can do, and a psychologist is different to a psychiatrist. So a psychologist looks at how your brain works, your thought patterns. Yep you know, positive thinking, that sort of stuff. A psychiatrist looks at it more from a medical model and what sort of medications can they uh, prescribe to you to balance your moods and that sort of stuff. They, they do work on two totally different models. So I think that that's something that I think people need to um, understand a little as well. Uh, and going and seeing a psychologist can be very... Um, it can be something that you can keep to yourself. The yep. world doesn't need to know about it. Um, and go and see your GP. Yep. So um, get away from Dr. Google, <laughs> you know, because you'll be self-diagnosing something that may not be correct. Yeah, sure. You know, so, yeah. Might have asked Marty to jump in here, wake him up. Yeah, you might. Mate, um, you obviously, you know, you were with Herbie when, uh, you know, when he was struggling as well. How did you and put you on the spot here, but how did you sort of feel and and handle um, the support side of things? Like, what did you feel um, was your, you know, how did you come around to just being there? Like, what was your thought process when, you know, when Herbie had a bad day? Um, just try and keep in touch as much as you can. I know that people don't want to talk or you don't want to burden your mate. Like, everyone's got problems, like whether it's work or relationships or, you know, but sometimes it just eats up a bit more and, if your mate's there to vent or to lend an ear to, just just say something, you know. Yep. Like we were saying before, like it's better to say something than nothing at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this also, you know, going to, you know, what our podcast is, you know, further things that it's about. But, you know, hunting's obviously brought, you know, you guys pretty close and, and for other reasons as well. How how important has it been to you, Herbie, having Marty next year, um, you're a bit of a, obviously a bit of a you know guidance for Marty as well. I'm sure he's okay for me to say that. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, you know how how has that helped you going through your process having someone like Marty that you can, I guess you know look to apart from your own family, yep. but having someone that you know because there's family and then there's yeah there's not family. Yep. And I think that uh, just to touch on that, that you know you stay alive and you do the, do that for your family first. 
but having blokes around you like Marty, like Marty's driven to my place from Melbourne after he's um, finished working all day. Um, he might knock off at 5.30 and just pick up the vibes that I wasn't having a good day. Then he would drive all the way from there to where I live in East Gippsland, four hours, to literally come and see me for an hour and a half and then turn around and drive all the way back to Melbourne just so he could make sure that I was going okay. Yep. So I've got um, I've got some other mates as well that are, uh, you know, I can count them on my hand, mm. but they're, they're people that I use in my own psychology treatment as well so that when I'm thinking irrational thoughts, I can actually, you know, and it's something that I say, what would Marty think about this? What would Daniel say about this? You know, my real close mates. Yep. Um, and it sort of pulls you up from your thoughts to, well, actually Marty would say this or that, or Daniel might say this or that. Um, so you're sort of able to balance off having good mates that tell you that when you are right and wrong, and you are happy to listen to their to their word mm-hmm. um, and follow their guidance. So it's just an extension of family when you've got mates like that. Yep. So, And touching on that with the hunting, I think, um, without jumping over the top of you at all, um, hunting can mean so much to so many different people. And for me, um, a big part of hunting is actually what we're doing today, that socialisation, that, that um, mucking around, being idiots, you know. Um, That's have, just Roger's pouring another scotch, by the way. You know, <laughs> having a laugh. And, you know, I think that, that that in itself is really good for your mental health, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I think you made a comment earlier that it's the first time that you got to sit down for such a long time. Um, it's a, it is, for me, it's a forced break from thinking about all that stuff and just mm. having a giggle is good. I think, you know, um, Josh can probably pipe in here too, but, you know, a day like today where you can sit laugh your ass off like just <laughs> of the stupidest shit like it feels like being back in school but to turn around have a you know you better share a story and and fill josh and i in you know for for something you might have went through and you know how you and marty sort of got together it's amazing sort of what you know a hunting camp can you know bring that in i mean what's been i guess may since you and i sort of caught up josh for that first podcast and had a hunt and I don't know, is there a day that we don't send some stupid message or you've got a meme or something sending through? But it's just those things that, you know, start bouncing around, um, you know, and, and you guys are talking all the time now and it was just funny watching you today talking about knives and, you know, it was a bit of knife porn today, we've got to, say, got to be honest. But, you know, just, you know, this was the first one, Josh, and Josh starts saying, yeah, that's all good, but I can't sharpen the bastard. It hasn't just little things like that and, and they, they just go on. It's just hilarious, but... I kind of then step back and, and sort of watch you guys carry on. Um, you don't know this, but, you know, watching how much relief you've got hmm. um, after that sort of scenario, you, you can see it in your face that there's there's a sense of relief that you're having having a, a better day. Yep, absolutely. I think, um, you know, like tonight's scenario of everyone going off in their own hunts and coming back and sharing that as well, It's um, you're sharing more than just what's in your head and uh, you can look at someone else's stuff up you know yeah thanks <laughs> just thought i'd drop that in there um you, you know and have a laugh at it and i think that part of being it's a big part of being australian is being able to take the proverbial out of each other and it, it you know some guys get way too serious about it and they get all upset and hurt um and i must say when you're at the 
one thing that happens when you have anxiety and depression is that you can sometimes not even see any of that funny stuff and you think that there's conspiracy theories and why are they all laughing at me yeah. it can really drive you like you, lo- you lose your humor mm. you know and um been able to step away from that though and come back to where I am you know and and when you're saying before that you guys you know contact each other every day and send silly memes to each other at the same time the 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 single message of um Josh I'm having a bad day is taken with the same seriousness as light-hearted humor is taken in gotcha. in the funny side of life yep you know if I needed Josh to come over the hill and help me or he need me to go over and see him yeah it'll be like honey i've got to go i've got to go see josh needs a hand yeah and you guys you know you aren't living out of each other's pocket every day like no, you just catch up it. every now and then and yep. i guess it's just a you know i guess we can call on people that that listen to this if they're not the one suffering find the one that is and and see if you can lend a hand and they may not be able to say anything as marty said it may not be the words that you can use but just by certainly standing next to someone helping them through and talking about it I honestly don't know why there's a stigma. I think it's absolutely stupid. The whole, you know, the hard-ass days that, oh, you know, just suck it up and deal with it. Like, they're gone, they're done, finish them, leave them behind in history, and let's move forward and, and help help people where we can. I think, um, you know, on that same level of um, talking about my knife-making, and I relayed the story um, today, I think, to you guys. For me, I didn't know how much I was affecting other sufferers um i was only just i was recording what was happening to me daily with my um, pdsd updates that i was doing and that story i was telling you fellas about earlier um about the bloke that messaged me um and i'll keep it as clean as i can saying you know that he was struggling with pdsd and um very similar issues he was going to go and commit suicide went round to his buddy's house to say goodbye. His buddy was having a beer, watching the uploads that I was doing, and just said, hey, come sit down and check this out and have a beer. And by the time he'd finished watching it, he could see that he wasn't alone and that there was someone that was perceived as successful in life, um, standing there and saying, I'm struggling, and these are the steps that I've taken to try and make things better. And he messaged me and just, you know, and... and relayed all of that in a short story and, and just said to me you know and I just want to say thank you because I'm here today for my kids yep. you know so by putting it out there I think it can really help someone one person to stay alive it's a good thing you've obviously uh, you know you've gone public with it and, and obviously you know proven point that you know you're certainly helping people and and bringing awareness to it um, what you know I guess what first made you go public with it was that a therapy for yourself or did you see a need for it both uh certainly a big need and i saw that um there was a lot of people that sort of looked up to me as having a really the perfect life you know without knowing my background um and i'd say that i was hunting making knives fishing hanging out with you know cool dudes all that sort of stuff and they wanted that lifestyle was that marty yeah sometimes it's (laughs) <laughs> um, I just can't keep up with Marty's gear. So <laughs> the gear nut will get to that. Yeah, we'll get big to that. gear. Be good. So, um, you know, and for me, I just thought people need to see also that there's no matter what walk of life you come from, 
you know, the, the guy that's hugely perceived as being having the perfect life mightn't have the perfect life. So <laughs> it, gave, it gave people the, um, I think, it, for me, it gave a, a public platform to be able to speak about PTSD and how crappy the services were, you know, that someone had to drive four hours for me. I had to drive four hours to Melbourne thinking about all the crap I had to speak to the psychiatrist about, get down there for an hour. Drive back and think about it. And then think all about all the shit on the way home again, yep. you know, and how dangerous yep. that actually was. Yeah. So, yeah. For anybody that, that guy said, you know, the the friend you're talking about that you helped, he said that he, he obviously felt alone. Yep. Why? Why do, you know, obviously it's very easy for us, it's black and white for someone that doesn't struggle with it, but why, why has it felt that, you know, they're alone when, you know, it's getting better. Like, don't get me wrong, yep. it, it wasn't like that. But why, you know, why is it that they feel they're alone and, and, and what's a step that I guess someone listening could, could take? I think that that alone feeling is created through a number of different reasons. One understanding that, as a chemical yep, imbalance there too, I understand. Apart that. from the, um, you know, the psychiatry of it, I think that you feel alone because the services in a lot of the areas aren't equipped to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So when you turn up to um, somewhere where you think that they may be able to help you and you get, oh, we're busy for another week, come back and see us, or we're booked, you know, when you need to see someone today, you need to see someone today. So when you go down there with, down there and there, I'm talking about any related services that you think may be able to help you, because today's the day you've made a decision you need to do something about it mm-hmm. and then you turn up and they say oh sorry bloke come back in a week and a half well you don't go back there's nowhere else to go mm. that was you that was that your was avenue it. yep yep and it's burnt it's done yep you're like no one wants to help me and that's where that alone feel comes from starts yep, yep. so I appreciate that because as I said it, it is so hard and you know, Josh is sitting there nodding as well taking it all in because it's hard for us to understand it um, and I think that's where a lot of the issues are is because professionals don't want to talk about it. You know, you've got enough to deal with mm. for someone in the middle that we're like, we really want to help, but we don't understand. Yep. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the likes of Marty and, and those kind of guys that just show support in, in whatever way they can. Um, it just, it'd be good if we knew more and we could do more. I think too, uh, for me, just as a side note, the fact that I wanted to get better and, and that I want to improve, that I want to be here, uh, it's one of those things that I see some people that, that get stuck in a whirlpool that they can't climb out of and they're there forever. Yep. They never, ever step forward there because it becomes like Metallica's song, you know, Misery Locks Company, mm. you know. And they, uh, unfortunately, you know, like attracts like and they find someone else that's like that. Someone else, and all of a sudden they get their own little group of people that, that uh, are nothing positive coming out of it. It's the same stuff every week. Mm. They don't move the poor forward. Yeah. Without saying that though, because I think sometimes they haven't got enough help mm-hmm. to be able to move, move forward, forward from that. Yep. From that. Yep. And they're trying that self-help stuff and it's not, it's not what's required or needed, you know. So particularly in regional areas, there isn't enough health care for people, whether they're vets or the military, of first responders, police force, whatever it may be, there isn't enough health care as it is if you've got a runny nose. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult for people that are that move to a regional area to be a bit quieter mm-hmm. 
that's a bit of a, a catch-22. You move out of the city because you can't stand that Being in the city. busy mm-hmm. anymore. Your head doesn't deal with it. You move away, Don't but all support. the services are back in the city. So, Roller coaster. Yeah. Makes it very difficult. But outside of all of that, I've got to say that having um, really good mates, and like you said before, a shared hunt camp. Um, I come up here quite regularly with a good mate of mine, Danny, Daniel White, um, and we have an absolute blast. Um, at the same time, having those mates that you can talk about um, stuff as a bloke, um, whether it's stuff that you're suffering at home, um, marriage, whatever it may be. Talk about it. You can talk about it, you know. Um, and then, you know, have a few lagers and have a real good laugh. So, you know, yeah. Awesome, mate. Well, obviously we've got plenty to talk about, but thank you. You know, I know, as I said, it's it's been heavily weighed on. I know you wanted to, to get into it and get it done. Yep. Um, appreciate your honesty and your openness. Um, it, it All day, you know, you, you sort of reverted back to little things and um, it does help us. For, for to to understand it, um, and and I feel that you know hopefully one day I'll be able to help as well, and um, you know I just appreciate your honesty with it. Yep, anytime. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break and personally thank Herbie once again for sharing his story. Uh, certainly not an easy thing to do, especially with a mic in front of your face, but uh, he's done really really well, and I'm, um, I've got to say I'm very proud of his efforts. So um, we do lighten the episode up now. We uh, we talk some absolute rubbish but I'm sure someone will get some fun out of it and hopefully in the first part there is some information there that uh, you know someone could take whether they want to try and help someone or you're needing help yourself uh, just remember you're not alone and please reach out so guys I'll take you back to the podcast and uh, I hope you join the rest of it all right let's go back to today Josh Sam Guru. where do we start what happened where are they all? Herbie, you said there was deer everywhere. Well, I've, you seen, know, I've seen one, and I was scared the shit out of it. There was probably a few more, but... No, they're not. I sat up there and froze my ass off the top of the hill. They weren't no, there. Josh was walking in front of you with <laughs> a little silver reflector mirror. That's oh. his cloak of invisibility. Had run out of batteries. There's a fluffy sparrow over on the opposite ridge, mate. That's what happened. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't actually see any of the deer first. Craig actually pointing it out to me. So I think it's time that I handed over a banner to Craig to be the Samba man. Josh, stop fucking walking. There's a fucking deer there. <laughs> Twice that happened. You did. Oh. So he was trying to be the eagle, not the sparrow. Yeah. yeah. So today we uh, had a pretty lazy day. Yeah, rained we a had lot. A big night. Got about 20 mils today. We did. As Herbie said before, we pulled in about 2 o'clock this morning. I was, I don't know, I was saying, I don't know what I was saying. I was that tired. Rogers just had his A game on driving. Got us to the creek bed. Herbie and Marty come and picked us up this morning. Telling us all these stories, these thousand deer they've seen and dogs fighting. 34, I think they said they said sure. the the evening before. Yep. Yeah, I'm on a packs of packs of wild dogs everywhere. Yeah. And Recordings. Yep. Marty, what's your dog's name? Keita. That is the coolest dog I've ever seen. Tell us about Keita. What? It's German Shorty Pointer. Yeah, GSP. Yeah. How old is she? Uh, she'll be three in December. Yeah, so I got her off uh, Rob Lambour. 
um, most people know black and white GSPs East and Terrelgan yep. in uh, East Gippsland. So a few people have got his dogs. He's had a few litters out there and everyone recommends them on the hunt. Um, yeah, she's really good on ducks and quail. Had to teach her nothing, but on the deer she's a bit hesitant still, but yep. a bit more training here and there and she's picking up. So, yeah, really happy. Mate, she's, she's like another human. She is. Actually, she's cleaner than Herbie. <laughs> That's not that <laughs> Probably more. <laughs> That's <laughs> because I have problems with my rib. <laughs> Probably more obedient. <laughs> yeah. Well, when there's food involved, yes. <laughs> she um, does wait for you to tell her okay to eat, but Herbie just, uh, like with those roast beef roll sandwiches we just had before, Herbie's just licking the plate clean. So. Was that beef? I didn't even get beef for Herbie, so... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Master Chef Rogers oh, over here. Yeah, Can't Rogers do. with his garlic bread. Anyone that goes camping with Rogers, just Makes wait out for the garlic bread. It's delish. <laughs> it's on point. <laughs> He's got it. So we we had a weather change. Well, was it predicted? Was that right? Yeah, predicted? it was predicted. Yeah. Yep. yep. It changed from um, uh, up to 15 mil to a storm this morning at about 7 o'clock. So yeah, it was really warm yesterday. Yeah. Sweating. It was really warm, yep. yeah. So they're active this morning. Rogers, take over here. What, your opinion was pretty similar to Herbie's. What was your sort of thoughts on how the day would play out? So we go on Samba Talk now. What was your sort of thoughts? The the weather moved in, so it was lunchtime. I lost track of time. Yeah, today. so we had we had that weather system come through so that on our way in last night, it was still 25 degrees yeah, warm, as we yeah. were cutting across the tops at midnight. So ordinarily that, that sort of weather pattern is going to get the animals moving. They're yep. uncomfortable. They, the stags will get around. They've got strong rising winds that they can get on roads and just walk around gully head sniffing out. So they generally get active before yep. those sorts of fronts. Because we're starting to see a few hinds on in season this time yeah. of year, aren't we? Yep. And then that theory was supported by the fact that Herbie and Marty on their way in to grab us from daybreak till 20 minutes later they seen a mid-20 stag on the road on their way out. So the animals were still moving in front of that cold or that low low front coming through that was bringing a fair bit of rain. But as the low front come through, that then started playing into our hands a little bit because there's a bit more moisture on the ground and it's going to be a bit quieter underfoot. We no longer had to be looking around for snakes everywhere we went because there's snakes galore here and... I think Herbie should start controlling them, actually. What we did I need, do though... I my best with the snake. It's conservation. It is. Are we, right. Sorry. Are we talking the reptiles here, or are we still talking about the high sparrow? <laughs> he <laughs> needs to put that black lost. snake away. <laughs> yeah. But back on a serious note, the, the weather was looking good for us, so we had... The conditions was kind of suited... We got a few squally winds come through that obviously yeah, was you said that on the hill, interfering like, this is, us. Just nearly stuffed us. Yeah. On our particular hunt, it was a lot of localised winds. So the flip side to that was Herbie went for a walk and his played into his hands. Do you reckon he from, really went for the walk? 
Sorry. Do you reckon he really went for the wall? Uh, yeah, well, like I said earlier, I come back and found him in his leopard print G-banger <laughs> dancing around in front of the heater, so it's questionable. But He's quite shocked to see you too, he told me. <laughs> the fact that his hunting gear was wet, he either chucked it outside to make it wet, so it looked like he's been out, or he was genuinely out. Or he's just had a shower <laughs> with his bow and his uh, full camos on. So. <laughs> he told me he spat on his bow just to make it look wet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, so, nah, but in all seriousness, he his plans come to fruition and it most likely is that it was a, a semi-sheltered basin. The wind wasn't impacting him and the deer were going to do what we were predicting him to do and that was be out earlier feeding because of the the moisture in the air, the cloudy skies, like it's a bit darker, they feel a bit safer in those conditions. Whereas other side of the gully, we're pushing up and we've got Initially, we had a good wind, and then it started squalling, and it started shifting around, and changed our tact a little bit. We sort of contoured about midway up the gully, figured that down there was going to provide a bit of shelter, and if we were lucky, because there was a few beds that I picked up in just a quick walk while Herbie was showing us around earlier, I just did what I always do and just went for a walk. And old pointer. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Sniffing, sniffing some scrapes, and but there was a few. No, bears almost no Keita's training collar for him. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> need, need the freaking leash. <laughs> he was gone. Where is he? He's just gone. He's coming back. Half an hour later, Rogers yeah. comes back and he's flip flops. There's, yeah. there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. You guys should be grateful that I come back in that time because if I had my way, I was gone all day. So <laughs> I, I brought myself back, so I'm well trained. I can, I can retrieve myself we had a bit of kibble in the car <laughs> yeah so back back on track so i'll be sorry, a serious yeah, i'll sorry, be a grown-up in this conversation but we're we're cutting across where i knew there were some beds just in that quick walk earlier on and i'm i'm sort of focused up high because this, a lot of the sign and a lot of the trails indicated they're going to be coming through from up high and i'll Craig Samba Man Hales tells me to whoa up and point it downhill, and sure enough, there's this. We were going the wrong direction. His snout didn't pick it up. Yeah, we we're a little bit <laughs> caught off guard. We're in the open, and, and there's a stag down there under in a bit of a belt of silver wattles, which once again should have known better because that's pretty common for him in this type of weather. Mm. We, we did kind of, we were working our way down there, I'll give you that, like we were actually... I'd only just glassed angle. all that face and I was just trying to change angles and mm. to be fair, I wasn't going to look back where it was, so I'm not saying I should have seen it, but I had only glassed probably over his back. I am. A few minutes earlier. You should have seen it. Yeah, I should have. I reckon if you had seen it, I would have shot it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> If Josh had I'm seen gonna it, post he would up have the video yeah, footage. I'll post the footage up on Instagram when I get a chance oh, and everyone shit. can make their own mind up about who made the fluff here. Right, I'll put it up straight up. Josh yeah. moved behind me and that's why the deer run. Let's let's just put it out there. <laughs> no, I've stuffed up, to be honest. No, on reflection on you us. look at the video and there's no stuff up. You, you had no choice but to take that half a step sideways just to yeah. create that shooting corridor. So we just had a he big was gum already tree. On edge. We just had a big gum tree. We were above him. We kind of probably took two or three steps too far, but he, he didn't pick us up. Or he did. He knew something wasn't right. He picked but up movement, but he didn't know what it was. Yeah, and he sat the, there. The breeze was in our favour. There were 
there was still a fair bit of rain, so you could hear the pitter patter on the on the canopy of the leaves. So that was masking any noise. Mm. And it's a good time to hunt, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, yeah. Well, like in, I would have liked that the rain stopped. If that stopped for a little bit, if we got an hour of no rain, Probably it was just odds on we were just gonna, there was yep. going to be bulk deer. Mm. But but yours are up, Herbie. Yours are up feeding. Yeah, but that, I'm a feeding right country or? No, they were feeding the, the, where I was. There's a fairly heavy manuka stand. Yeah. So they were only feeding just in front of the stand. So yeah, they right could on. come and go as they pleased. Yeah, okay. So if the rain became too much for them, they only back a couple in. of steps back to shelter. Yeah. So that's when my yeah. stag stood up. Yeah, so. And don't discount the wind factor. So we went from having a very mild breeze in our face to squally, squally. winds. That was shit. And they just, they'll tolerate a bit of rain in that situation but they won't yeah. tolerate rain yeah, and right. strong wind because it dulls every sense they've got yeah so that makes them nervous and and their priority yeah. survival so yeah, absolutely yeah. yep being hunted by tigers in your homeland mm. their instincts are second to none and mind you josh had barefoot too just so everyone knows <laughs> still had bare feet how do you do that oh i just you just do it it helps Look, birds, when you come from the vials and shit, and you have feet like a hobbit, well, <laughs> yeah. So from my waist down, you could probably mistake me from Schmeagle off Lord of the Rings, <laughs> my precious style. So yeah, but in reality, look, it, it does. It, it's all about giving yourself an edge and yeah. bare feet versus big stiff soled boots. Well, he heard me gonna, come. He didn't see. He didn't hear you. Just seen you. Yeah, just seen me. Like a beacon. <laughs> With a big freaking camera. <laughs> okay, so... No, it was the shutterboard. It was the take one. I think that... <laughs> wish, wish it was a take two, because it would have sorted me better. <laughs> no, we snuck down and he... Back on track, so... We did. Well, I snuck down on him behind the big gum tree. He was... Uh, when I got to the tree, 26 yards. Yeah. Unfortunately, I couldn't go on the backside of the tree, because there was a big damn bush in front of me where I vitals where I needed to hit him. So I had to go on the open side, which was the side that he was, let's say, he was looking past. He kind of knew something was up there. Well, you were above me, what, 30 yards, I suppose? Yeah, so, like, he had already picked us up in his peripheral. Yeah. So when you went there, he turned his head a bit more, and it was opening that up more. It's a bit of a tactic they've got to try pick up any type of movement. It freaking and worked. Yeah, so he picked up you. Got me. Half, I mean, I had to come out behind that tree. Half a step to yeah, just sort of a full draw. Just starting to settle on... He'd let out a freaking bark and yeah, honk. It's honk, on video. And then I've got he's no gone excuses. And he's, down. he's out of there. So, yeah. and then we, well, we pretty much just sort of walked around in circles for a little bit, wondering what we're going to do, and then decided to drop into the creek, thinking that we'd get a little yeah, bit better wind. Work the wind in our favour because up on the ridge top it was very oh, swirly. Yeah. So what are we now? Four o'clock? Was it four o'clock now though? No, we, yeah, it was later. So daylight savings has changed now. So it's, yeah, right. it's dark at about quarter to eight. We headed off at maybe quarter past five. We a little bit early, but I went based on your pressure for me just to get out there. So um, we we got up in there. and That's true. We had you yeah, chained to the freaking post, mate. It was true. I, I told you to be patient. You teased him a lot. You pressured him. Yeah. Teased him, bullied him. Bullshit. And then we got up in there and I said, like I said earlier, Craig, we're half an hour early. We yeah. should have been here half an hour later. You've got a freaking lesson. I've got a lesson on the freaking hill. It's like hunting with me mum again. Now, Craig, I told you, we're half an hour early. But 
Still. We needed to get the wind in our favour, so we decided to drop down in the creek that was had a nice green grassy bed on it. As we dropped down, we got the wind in our face. It was all great. All we needed was for that to keep winding up, and mm. we are going to cut the deer using the cover to continue to feed in their peak period of feeding, mm. really. So it's just, that, it, just run out of yeah, just run out of opening, country, really. and it was, a, it was a bit hard getting through it. Mm. It's hard enough problem. hunting deer two up with a bow. Mm. Like, having said that, I should say, it's hard enough doing it with one person, one let alone yeah. two of you walking side by side. So yeah. there's extra noise, there's extra movement, everything's against us. So yeah. we kept cutting up. We just, number one, we're killing time because you pushed me out of the cosy camp early. And two, we were just doing a bit of exploration. So oh. as we decided to cut back, do a Yui, come back a bit higher, once again, I'm walking through just not knowing what I'm on about. I'm just a, a pig oh, hunter from the from the hills of New South Wales. It's, and uh, it's, it's, Craig too, it's too early. It's too early. Craig Sambermay points out a couple of hinds taken off up in front of me. So Again. Again. So I'll just take all of my tips and advice from you in future. So <laughs> I'm done there. I'm finished. Can <laughs> <laughs> retire. Just on that point you said before about hunting samba with a deer, with, hunting samba with a deer, hunting samba with a bow. Maybe, um, maybe you do need another drink. I almost would, but I'm not going to be rude. <laughs> um, even the hunts that don't end up with a samba on the ground, mm. to be able to knock an arrow and come to draw, uh, and to be able to let down on a samba. Mm. That's that's an achievement in itself. I was buzzing. So the thing we should mention was that it was a it was a mature stag. Yeah, he yeah. was a mongrel, so he only had. Hey, mongrel! A wobbly... He ran off. That's why it's a mongrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he yelled at him too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Push him was, a little bit further up the valley. Yeah, there was a little bit more words in there. <laughs> Descriptive words. There wasn't. I, I thought I'd behave myself very well. I had to counsel Josh when he came back. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to kill me. <laughs> No, it was, ah, it was it was just one of the ones. No, it was fun. That was yep. that was good. That's the first samba off. Well, we're a bit closer than last time, Josh. The last yeah. one was about two hundred and fifty yards. This one was twenty five. Yep. But no, you're dead right. I mean, I guess a long way, doesn't it? Like if you can get in close with a bow, and yep. sometimes it doesn't present itself. It was a fifty fifty with the wind and the you know how we how we spotted him. It was always going to be a fifty fifty story. I'm actually store. happier um, I, seeing I, the footage. Knowing that you let down on him and didn't either get target panic and have to let that arrow go, mm. um, and end up wounding an animal like that. You just um, you you wanted to see the footage so you could laugh at me. I did laugh at you yeah. a lot because you. We've got <laughs> evidence of Herbie's response to the <laughs> we do. to the watching the video. So <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, he took nah, it. Look, but Herbie it was it, it was well. a mature animal. So you've you've got the drop on a mature animal with the bow. Half a second is all it takes to go from settling that pin in on, and releasing, and in that split second he's broken and he's gone and out of there. Half a second longer, you just mm. drill him, game over. So, but that's Sam hunting. Oh, it was good. Yeah. I mean, it's you come down and you get an opportunity. I mean, we walk, we walked fifteen minutes maybe. It's a bit more I had, than that. I had to wait for you at the top of the hill, I suppose, but. Um, <laughs> Because he was trying to get you to come back. Because yeah, no. there was deer. He was yeah. trying to slow me up. Yeah. <laughs> We're too early, Craig. <laughs> As he kept telling me. I don't know. Marty, what did you get up to? Um, did you chase your dog around the hill? Or? Yeah, Keita. Um, I had a hunt 
yesterday, me and Herbie got up here yesterday at lunchtime. So I went to the, which I thought was the hot zone from yesterday. So I had a running with your stag, got a few nice stills with him. And um, yeah, there was heaps of hinds and that. So I was, yeah, went back there obviously to hopefully you just trot it down the fence again. Yeah, I stuffed um, that. Yeah, he went, he went I, the other way. <laughs> I actually seen nothing, absolutely nothing. But I set a trail cam up on a hot wallow, so hopefully that'll get a few, a few picks and a bit of action over the next couple of days when it dries up and finds up, and they start sending up and rubbing up again. So, yeah, fingers crossed we can get something happening tomorrow. Smarty, you're new to the bow hunting game. Not new to the hunting, but new to the bow hunting game. Yeah, new to the bow. Yep. Um, you don't seem like that. I've got to be honest, dude. You're a gear nut. Oh. Gear nut. Yeah, tech head gear nut. Yeah. 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 I like, yeah, I like to do research and all that jazz. Yeah. I'll mention one thing and then you tell me, like, <laughs> how much they weigh. They, they Apparently, my boots are shit because I don't lock off. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You didn't say yeah. that. Yeah. It's but. like when you brought your gear bag out and you had all the first light gear and I've got all my first light gear we're comparing and. Oh, all like little kids of each other. Yeah, it was. You guys both had good. little stiffies. Like, you're <laughs> <laughs> going to do little sword fights together or something. <laughs> You've First lost me. Line. I'm Whoa. done. <laughs> You've lost maybe, me. I'm maybe after hours. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, where do we go from Sorry, there? Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'll just take a drink on that one. Sorry. Yeah. Seriously, I've got to say that if uh, you, you need to know something about a product, um, whether it's... Oh, it's good. Um, what's the stuff you got over there? First light. <laughs> no, not the first light, the drink. Peak hunt, peak, peak hunt. Oh, peak performance hunting. Peak man. performance hunting. Guys, I'll just let you know, he's got, oh, what, we're a 20 by 10 shed. Yep. We're not even near that, but, like, he's probably got a third of it full of gear. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. it, there's nothing that Marty doesn't know about a product. Herbie's trying to fit into his clothes <laughs> and ain't fucking working, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's the good thing about these podcasts and, like, hearing stuff from America and overseas. Like, I've always said America especially the northern hemisphere of five years ahead of australia in their developments and their technologies especially their outerwares like i know a lot of their stuff's designed for snow and a lot colder climates than we get but like you were saying before with your wet weather gear being in alaska how much rain they get and compared to how much rain we get here in australia and new zealand especially like it's yep. just a perfect match well, that was a, for that stuff that was a bit you're right there, mate yeah just punch the mic <laughs> Well, that was, it was interesting with that because you don't kind of take that into consideration when you're buying gear. I mean, Australia's temperature range, you know, climate just doesn't really, I'm going to be honest, doesn't test gear. The New Zealand definitely does. Like, it's high levels probably, I think a lot of the New Zealand gear is probably just not well known enough. Um, but when we went to Alaska, like, that was, you know, when you got to think about how you're going to get back to camp and have something dry to put on because you had to carry all the basket up the mountain anyway so you're limited on what you can take up but then coming go for a hunt it's raining it's foggy it's you know everything's wet and i've never experienced like everything you touch yeah like even your tent is full of condensation because you've been stuck in it for 48 hours so you get to know people really quickly when you're in there that long but yeah it's amazing sort of you know to dry a raincoat in the bottom of your sleeping bag like i knew you could dry clothes in the bottom of your sleeping bag but to dry a full raincoat dripping wet you don't want to smell your raincoat me sleeping bag after that but it like it dried i literally put it on the next day 
little things like uh, you know, Brad put a paratarp up in the rocks and, and caught water. Like just little things that you you really don't have to think about until you you're thrown in it sort of thing. And so you learn a lot. And then I think that's where they kind of have to be. Their development has to be a few years ahead because they've just got extreme sort of. You're going from desert floor, stinking hot, to thirteen thousand feet straight above it, to you know life and death situation kind of thing. So I think that's what they nearly have to be on the product development side of things. And they've got so many people to cater for as well. So it's interesting you say that, like, because a lot of the podcasts, you know, they spread over like, all the information. I should say not just podcasts, but they break it down for us pretty well these days. Yeah, for sure, exactly. And like a lot of the things back, yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, like we're just looking at a few Herbie's DVDs from a few of the Samba gurus back in the early 2000s and 90s and like looking at the gear that they've got and like that was the elite of the elite. Yeah. And now like, how, you can't comprehend. How's what, old mate's trail camera? Yeah. It was like... It was like a phone box. Like no one would steal that thing out in the bush. Like it was Dr. ridiculous. has appeared. Yeah. I, I heard Superman actually got changed into his suit <laughs> inside that trail camera. It took some awesome footage, but like, holy jeez, like trying to get that in there, and then yeah, the tripwire whole scenario, and yeah, unbelievable. To where today we've got GPSs that you can show your buddy's position on the same hunt and send a text message without it needing to be, you know, phone service. Yeah, you know. like just even like Josh's watch and the Garmin watches, like that's still, still need to spot the deer for it, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I know he's out of his element. He's out of his home turf, so we'll give him, we'll give him a day to adjust. Checking his back learning curve. He knew no, where, well, he knew where he wanted to go. He was just running out of light. No, he didn't have his, he did have his stick bow with him. Maybe if he had his stick bow, he might have uh, had his eyes a bit more open. He probably could have shot the thing from where he was standing. To be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. He's not tired of me. No, he's blushing a bit. <laughs> he wants to. He wants to. He's, he's, <laughs> he's licking his lips. <laughs> At least it took the pressure off you, Herbie, anyway. Yeah, well, I think um, the other thing that's added to the, the flightiness of the deer around here at the moment is the um, large packs of feral dogs yeah. that have been running around. Well, you you got them howling again. What time we come back down through? Like 8 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. After you've already sort of half stirred them up too yeah. this morning. So Marty and I on the way out actually had a, uh, I think it was a, a bitch, and I mean that in the all in, all sense that that is, um, start on the side of the track on the way out with the rumble of the V8 going past. I think it stirred her up enough for mm. her to have a crack at the V8. Yep. And I had the window down, I, was, I said to Marty, is that a dog? And we stopped, and she was going off she was just nuts so i think that a lot of the um alpha bitches have got pups mm. at the moment yeah so it may have been more of a i'm here take off protecting my pup type. did you take a you said you took a dog out uh yeah last week yeah yeah i had another buddy of mine down here and uh he shot an alpha male yeah uh, well i would presume he was because he was the one that was leading the hunt they seem to be stalled now like they're yeah. they're up, unsettled now yeah they just and it really upsets their chain mm. it takes a while for them to develop their alpha couple and then when you take one out well someone's vying for that position mm. and there's dogs from other packs that are going to come over and fight and that sort of stuff um, and i actually enjoy hunting the dogs as much if not more than the samba that's a 
You really can. Well, they're a pretty smart bunch too. Like they oh, don't know what's going on. Well, when I had my buddy here and, and I had the pack in, um, and they went quiet, and he said, "Oh, they've gone quiet. Have they gone away?" And I said to him, "No, they're actually planning their stalk on us." Mm. And it was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they do. They try to get the, try to get your wind. They're like any yeah. other predator, the alpha predator for you know mainly in Australia. Yeah. Um, and it's something again when you can get the drop on the best predator that we can find here, as I'm mm. sure you've experienced when you've been international and you know that there's a bigger and badder predators in it's other continents. Thought. It's a scary thought, I'll you know. Honest. But um, no, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Marty miss you know, Samber Hour. He's yep. too scared of the dogs, he's got to come out. Yeah. <laughs> and come no, back. Nice Debbie's led me up the garden path with the wild dogs a few times, but... <laughs> Dropped him in the den of yeah, death. Yeah, <laughs> the dog's graveyard a few times, but no, I've come close. A couple of weeks ago, we... Yeah, black one, we were just at the Cary State Forest off the Maroka Road there, and um, yeah, hunting for Samba as you do, and just seeing this black dog run up towards us, and I thought it was someone's pup, but no collar, and took off, and yeah, it was very upset with life but like Herbie said it had that pup sort of bark or growl sort of protecting its young and saying that I'm here get out the way sort of thing so I do think that's sort of happening at this time of the year so yeah and and on that point with um, uh, Marty and Keita in the bush together I think that if anyone's inexperienced in taking their dog or they're taking a young dog with them as a hunting dog that um, particularly around this time of the year to be just on their toes and know that if a dog pack does come in, that the, the dogs aren't coming to attack you so much. Mm. They're smelling the other dog. They don't want the other dog in their area, mm. you know. And yeah, they're not coming to enlist the short-haired pointer as part of their gang. They're just coming in and saying, oi. Yep. And they're just going to... Beat it up. Yep. Mm. Or worse. Yep. Marty, how do you find the switch to bow hunting after sort of chasing things with a rifle for a few years and um yeah definitely makes you more switched on more focused i said i still do hunt with the rifle and i'll probably always will backpack hunt yeah like, sure there's a lot of guys that go out there with the bow and um big kudos to them like massive respect like especially that high bluff country hunting with a bow like i know how hard it is with a rifle let alone trying to get him in there with the bow so yeah good on those guys but um yeah, it just really sharpens up your skills. you got to get everything in your favour, really focus on the wind, your gear, like like we were saying with Josh, taking your boots off if you got to, really using your binos, trying to glass up as much as you can, trying to spot that deer before it obviously spots you. Like There's no point in bumping deer with a bow because then you still got to knock an arrow, try and get your release on, and then obviously it's on the run, so yep. that's no good for you. What's been the steepest learning curve with the bow? Um, would have been during the rut with Matty Webb um, chasing Fallow. Um, pretty intense when they come in snorting and growling at you. <laughs> like I was pin Probably the biggest thing is, yeah, just get ready. Like have an arrow knocked, nearly have the bow in hand because as soon as you start rattling, like they'll come charging in. And, like you'll have 100 metres of bush between you and like they'll be on you within a matter of seconds, if not minutes. And yeah, I was pinned down at least a couple of times on different bucks during this yep. rut in April. So yeah, mm. that was pretty cool. Best piece of advice you've got in your, your, your bow hunting career? Best piece of advice? It would have had to come from me. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> Don't hunt with Rogers. Oh, well, Josh has done it all. Like, 
you can't keep up with him. He's done the rifle, done the compound, done the stick bow now, so he can... Yeah. He carried a, a spear today. Yeah, well, he's got a spear. We're talking about getting him on a blow dart gun, so... <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, one of the... One of the biggest things I did, I did a um, bow seminar with Brad Murphy um, from oh, Arrowhead Magazine, just at a private um, place out at Alexandra. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really good. He went through the whole setup, so like what you should look for a new bow, like draw lengths, um, really informative. Like there's some really inexperienced people there. Um, ah, the boy. It, intermediate people and some like really advanced people like that shot some big deer like big fellow deer and chittle and rooster and stuff so i was broad range of spectrum he had there and just giving like little points throughout the day and like we did actually fire at a range um at a few targets and just focusing on draws and like just different positions like you're not always going to get the perfect standing up position like you've got mm. to practice sitting down or kneeling down and like what you tried to do like try and creep out with your back leg behind the tree like nothing's ever textbook like the range like an indoor range so yeah. you just got yep. to try those scenarios you know yep have you taken a deer with a bow yet no tomorrow fingers crossed yeah it's been very close yeah i was very close last night when i ended up tying keter to me um backpack and just um stalking down I had an arrow knocked and i seen these ears coming back up towards me because i couldn't see the wonky stag anymore I was like oh, oh he's coming up and then couldn't see um antler and then yeah I seen this hind come and then she was she would have been under 20 yards easy probably 15 yards and she was just um feeding up on the diagonal up the contour and yeah she just got a sixth sense I had wind perfect nah, in my face it was a sparrow down there earlier well, fluffy sparrow roll herbs. Probably, probably Herbie sent out a text message. But it's like one of those things. It's like what they say when you first start: never shoot a doe. Like always, try and look for the stag because otherwise you're never going to shoot a stag. And I was pretty intent after seeing him come down. Like I'm like, yeah, there's going to be a stag here. But like Herbie was saying to us boys later tonight, like a hind or anything is pretty good achievement with the bow. Like. But it's just one of those things, all, I guess. It's all up from there too, Marty. So you yeah. start with something and then yeah. just look to better that from then on. So Oh, yeah, for sure. Get the monkey off your back, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Well, talking about that, I mean, Josh, you've done that pretty well. And I'm, I'm more on the serious side of things here. But you started, you know, you, you I think we, we covered this in the last podcast, but your progression to, you know, with the bow, um, I mean, you carted everything with a, with a rifle, but, you know, you eventually got your stag and then, you sort of progress from there. You, you got a shot a few more, and then you're sort of, you know, lucky enough to pick up a, a recurve, and then sort of pursue that a little bit. Nothing serious, but yeah. What? So the the initial goal was always a mature samba stag with the compound bow or any bow for that matter. That took longer than what you would think, and I had so many fuck ups along the way that it's not funny. But what I did do is I I learned from that. I think I might have covered that in the last podcast. Yeah. So. I still haven't listened to the last podcast. I waffled on a bit and I don't know what I said, but I do think I mentioned that in that I did learn from all of those fuck-ups and I had plenty. So don't ever think for a second that anybody's just perfect and nothing ever goes wrong because it does all the time. You just A lot of guys don't talk about those but because they don't want to. We seriously learn from that. Yeah, if you, and if you're not learning from it, then you're not going to get any better at what mm. you're doing. Mm. So yeah. fundamentally, hunting... We're all hunters and we're just using different tools and it's your ability to stalk is the key to success, not 
you could be the greatest shot in the world with a bow or a rifle, but if you can't stalk or you don't know your quarry, it counts for nothing. Yeah. You, you might get lucky every now and then, but if you actually understand your quarry and understand what you're doing and know how to stalk, then all of a sudden your, your chances of success increase from there. Yeah. So the mature stags with Samba, people say, oh, there's so many Samba around these days. Yeah, there is so many Samba around, but they're still switched on. It doesn't, oh, there's just more of them. They're, oh, we were talking today, like, they are definitely more number one in Australia at the moment. And, of, you know, plus there's a couple of guys coming out from the States, ne you know, next year that have heard us talking about them, you know, watched, you know, various our guys' stuff. They're just like, stuff the buffalo. We're going number, we're going to Sam, but they, they look hard. And I think they've got a, you know, a similar lock to a high country mule deer sort of thing. That's how I put, that's how I compare it to with them to, chatting to them. Because they just, I don't know, there's something about them. They're just, they're that switched on watching these videos these old school videos today like and then you know today you know it's a bit of a bit of shitty weather you don't see one you wouldn't even know they were here i still don't think they're here herb is bullshitting but yeah so i've bumped into hikers in in one of the main areas for samba deer in the state or one of the more popular places at the moment which is mount howard or the mount howard region there's a whole heap of walking tracks and it's very popular with hikers which is great we share the bush but I talk to them at any opportunity because I view every opportunity to talk to a non-hunter as an opportunity to, to portray ourselves in a positive light. So I never not turn my back on them. I, I always try to make sure they see me and my my rifle or my rifle's in a non-intimidating position on me. So I always go out of my way to do that. And the amount of times I see these hikers and there's like, what are you doing up here? And I say, oh, I'm hunting deer. Oh, there's no deer up here. I've been walking these hills for 25 years. There's, I've never seen a deer once. And I'm all, oh, that's funny because I've already seen 15 for the morning, but I'm looking for deer and you're not. You're just looking yeah. at the horizon as you're walking mm. around. And yeah, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, the opportunity to, to explain that to them. It's good. Yeah. But going back to your point, if you don't know they're there, yeah. you're not going to know they're there. And I think coming back to one of the original comments that you made, Craig, about what is hunting and what does a hunt camp do for us, mm. I think when you get the opportunity to um, share a camp with other guys that are experienced, you'll level higher, lesser. Mm. It gives you the opportunity to either assist in the education of someone that hasn't hunted for that long yep, or to be able to educate yourself a little and be able to say, well, this is what I've been doing. Every time I'm walking after up this gully, the wind's always on my back and blowing forwards and I never see deer. Mm. For experienced hunters, you might think, why would you do that? Yeah. But for someone that isn't experienced, yeah. that's the thing that they... Buddy, you're actually punching your scent up the same gully system, the same draw that you're trying to hunt. Yeah. There's nothing going to be in front of you. Mm. And a light bulb can come on. And I think that sharing that stuff and um, not being afraid to share that so that other people can be successful mm. can actually assist in, um, as a collective, hunters to grow. Yeah. Marty, I mean, you've probably heard of all our mistakes and you've probably made them yourself, but, you know, what's the what was the, the biggest lesson that, from from a mistake that you've got, you know, Jason, you're pretty lucky to go straight into Sam, we've got to be honest, but... 
what's the one thing that you sort of sits in your mind every time you walk out now? Um, as a mistake, I guess, like everyone's still caught up in work mode or city life, and then when you come out of the bush, you're still going a hundred miles an hour. Like you need that's that. Good one. You need yeah. that time to settle down and actually get into stalk mode. Like, that's what they said. You, you try and go away to a new location for two days, three days, but it might take you three days to find the deer and then you finally start to slow down and then you're going home. So it makes it tough. Um, yeah, slow down and just glass is probably the two biggest things I can say, I guess. Because that's what, like, people say, oh, I've bumped, I bumped, 15 deer or bump 10 deer well i don't know like you might you possibly might have seen them if you had a slow down like if you had a glass more you might have seen embedded like there's things that can try and help you along that way as in actually finding those deer rather than blowing them out or like what herbie was saying get your scent in the right way check your thermals in the morning just those little things, like they might be five percenters, but they'll all add up in the end. Oh, big time! Yeah, yep. yep. It's hard to calculate them at times too. Hard to put them all together sometimes. The ability to stick at what Marty was just mentioning too, and and I struggle with that. So, like I, I don't know how many samba I see a week, but I, I when I'm in stalk mode, it's great. Getting into that. Two out. No, it's it's easy to get into it. Mm -hmm. It's. Sticking keeping to it. it sticking to it exactly so two hours into it and i'll be like oh i i haven't seen a mark here they're i haven't seen that no, so i start here. moving quicker murphy's law says the second i start moving quicker boom honk honk gone out of there it's like fuck <laughs> 50 meters ago i was right in the zone, in the zone. and then just just half a loss of concentration you, you switch off you move a bit quicker you change your path to travel you're not as observant and then boom there it is and that's like, every time i guess the good and bad thing about sam hunting like the unpredictability about the whole thing like you can do have a textbook hunt during the day and absolutely see nothing <laughs> and you're like what's going on but like we we're saying like weather patterns moon phases like, if there is wild dogs, hunting pressure, like, it all adds up. It's those five percenters that might add up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think today, like, oh, I know I threw some questions out there just, like, straight up, and it was a little bit to do with the weather, but, you know, you guys were just sort of saying something so, it kind of come so naturally, it was like, oh, they're going to do this, and you're like, yeah, yeah, it'll do this, and I'm like, hang on, whoa, whoa, why? I feel it's it's so different. Like, as much as I do, you know, the hunting the back up home, and these samba are kind of similar to the boars and that, they're, they're still doing little different things and just trying to pick up like I think we're, we're driving out and you, you said I can't remember what the topic was now last night and there was a couple of questions I asked and I'm like hang on a second what, what makes you sort of you know it's just trying to gather that information from guys that are doing it all the time and so as, as you said it helps you put those five percenters together if you can spend time with people that I got a little bit of know-how or, or more, more so experience. I think the the way that I explain to new samba hunters, and I'm in no way saying that I'm a guru or been hunting them a long time. Yeah, um, there's no there's no deer mate. No, there isn't. There's, I've killed them all with rocks. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, that the best way to think about hunting samba is if you were being hunted as a human, but you had those superpowers of your smell and your hearing, where would you be today? Do I have Rogers' suit? No, you don't. Oh. Cloak of invisibility. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be hidden away. But 
a deer reacts very much, the samba react very much to human as, mm. as a human would, that they're not going to be out in the rain. Mm. That if it's boiling hot, they're not going to be in a hot spot. They're going to be looking for cooler spots. Mm. They're going to be in a position where they want to sniff that person coming. Yep. Imagine if you were being chased by, you'd, you know, yep. you want to be there to say that you could get that advantage over whatever's chasing you. The, yeah. the deer think very much similar to what we do. So Well, Josh said it straight away. Like, as soon as that squally wind came up, he literally looked at me and just gone, yeah, that's no good. Yep. Straight up, like, bang. Like it was just on the on the button. And I was yep. like, hmm, yeah, I'll probably see why. It's freaking uncomfortable out here. Like it just straight away, it just yep. didn't feel. Yep. And I think if you didn't have to be out there for any animal, wouldn't see it like there was nothing out the birds were quiet and everything so i guess it's just reading that yeah you know, the ability to read that scenario but so. if you had a drop down to where that stag was i guarantee you you would have found that that was a quiet zone and that mm. squally wind was that's passing was. over him and that's why it didn't drop down on him to it to him too so they are always in in that squally condition they're always in those quiet zones so knowing your quiet zones in your area is important. So, so what do you call a, do. a quiet zone, Josh? Well, just an that area that the wind might be howling up a gully face opposite it, but then you've got a little basin and that wind's passing over the top. You get into that basin and it's dead still, absolutely dead still. There's yep. not a breath of wind in it. Might be just blowing its guts out either way. You've got channeling going on, but the, the deal in that situation will find those areas that it's just... Yep deadly still and that's what they want because then all of a sudden that gives them the comfort in knowing that they've got their ears are back in their favour they, they can't stand it when all of their senses are dulled so yeah. visibility sense of smell and hearing they don't like it and they won't tolerate it so provided they've got one of those back in play then that they can be comfortable in that and, mm. and today was that example so I suspect where you were, Herbie, it was exactly that. It was, it was just that they had the cover nearby so they could retreat if it got wet, but the wind just wasn't impacting them to the same extent that it was for us where we come from. So, did you hear what he said? He sent us to the dud side. He did. He just said that's why he went where he did. I told you earlier that he Arsenal. had a nemesis that he was up and after and he just didn't want you to have the opportunity at it because he wouldn't have been able to live with himself knowing that a first-timer come in. And scared it. Get <laughs> yeah. to another gully. The guest shot my deer. So I think, to be fair to myself, before I went off for a leak and you guys teed off on me while I was out, but... <laughs> there was no teeing yeah. off. It, yeah. it was just all praise. That's all. Um, Marty might be able to reflect a little bit on a hunt that I had with him recently, and he said to me that it was the best afternoon he's had in his life. So, no, Marty, do you mind just explaining said. that story to Craig? Yeah, it actually it was. It was pretty good. It was exactly like... Hold up. Is this appropriate for all ages? Hunting. Okay, that's all right. Keep going. Afternoon. Right um, Yeah, it was exactly like <laughs> today. stop it. It was exactly like today with the weather. But at about two o'clock, the weather backed off and then the sun come out and we're just walking up this gully system and as soon as the sun came out, there's deer, deer popping out everywhere. It was really good. That was what was meant to happen yeah, I today. Know. Yeah, and Keep we're, going. We're yeah. close to it. Mm. it was, yeah, exactly. We were, we were thinking that fine or warmer weather was going to come through, but it didn't. So the deer just ended up bunking up today. But um, yeah, I think Josh... T 
touched on it with the last podcast with you, Craig, about like it's good hunting with different people in different scenarios. Like I can say I've hunted with Herbie, so I'll take a bit of Herbie, bit of Josh, bit of Matty Webb, and like just combine all these different people that I've hunted with and incorporate them in my hunting style, especially for the Samba, like that are really are a stalking deer or ambushing deer or a glassing deer like it's definitely next level compared to the grazing deer like the red deer and fallow deer where they're out in mobs in same with chittle and rooster i guess but yeah i haven't really hunted those but um yeah it was really good afternoon with josh um yeah didn't come to full draw on a deer we were close we had three or four coming down and they were about 50 50 meters i think but um yeah i just couldn't get a shot um, and then we ended up getting busted off by this hind. So it's always the way. There's always a matriarch and always a onlooker. So yeah, that's something you got to watch out for the with the bow as well, I guess. What made that such a good afternoon? Um, I guess seeing like what Josh, what I was just talking about before, like Josh moving through the bush. Um, Barefoot. No, it wasn't that. No, he wasn't actually. <laughs> something to be saying yeah he actually had shoes on so <laughs> no pro- socks though no, no <laughs> socks um the the amount of deer like um for public land hunting like the amount of deer that just come out it was unbelievable yeah um just being un unpressured and that warmer weather just drove him out to feed up before the night time like it was well before that golden hour. Like, yeah, like I said, it was 2 o'clock, 2.30, and mm. when that sun broke through, they were all out just feeding. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. I think it's really important to pay attention to the barometer change. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start to see that storm front going to be moving in, perfect time to be out. It's funny say that, because I sort of pay attention to that to fishing, but probably, I'll be honest, I don't really pull that into to hunting as much, no. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, for me anyway, when you see that, they pick it up yeah. and they know that they've got to get out and have yeah, a so the, the anim- I think the animals are certainly sensing the pressure a change. change. Yeah. So we're talking barometer, uh, barometer and we're talking pressures. Mm. We as humans don't associate it and it certainly helps with fishing and it's definitely the pressure relation yep. there. Yep. How else do the deer know that there's a weather change come? They're not looking at the horizon saying, hey, there's some black thunderheads building over there. They're not seeing that, but yet they know that there's a change coming and, and their activity changes accordingly. So yep. if they need to feed two hours earlier yeah, to get in front of it, they will. They'll load up, yeah, they'll yep, feed. Absolutely. And then they'll be they'll be cutting across ridges and into into the thicker gullies if they need shelter or they'll do it. Yep. It's generally only the younger ones that you'll find are like, Oh shit, I've caught myself out here i'm just yeah. pissing down i'm gonna get the fuck out of here now whereas the rest of them are already gone yeah the younger ones so with okay moving forward to tomorrow tomorrow let's take it that it's going to be cleared up yep. what is the game plan what what's your thoughts on what the deer rogers herbie i'm sure you're probably gonna have a similar idea but herbie i'll start with you what are you thinking they're going to be doing tomorrow tomorrow morning i'd be heading to where that sun's going to be cracking out they've had a cold day they've had a cold night mm-hmm Samba don't have any sort of residual fat layer like a lot of other animals do to maintain that warmth and they really mm-hmm. chase that sun in the morning. Yeah, right. And once again, relate it back to yourself. If you'd spent a whole night 
cold, wet or the rest of it and you could eat breakfast in the bottom of a freezing gully or on the side face and catching some sun, where do humans want to eat? It's exactly the same spot. Find that sun. I hope the wife get brings there. me breakfast to bed, to be honest with you, but I'm just, just putting it out there. Whatever you, whatever you want to call Josh, it's fine with me. So, you know, I think just to find yourself that, that um, bit where the sun's going to crack first thing in the morning, yeah. get up there, sit off it, and um, even sit back where they're going to be coming back to because mm-hmm. they're already been. They're likely to stay so, out longer? Uh, I reckon tomorrow morning, uh, the way the moon phase is, that they'll probably be out till about 9.30. And you could say we're probably in a low-pressure area as well, so... Yep. And uh, the afternoon, they'll just bed up during the day. If we have a, have a beautiful day, they'll yep. just bed up and get out and feed occasionally. Yep. Have a drink, and then you'll find them out, I think, earlier tomorrow afternoon. Yep. Um, through to dark. Before yeah. I change the weather, Josh, your your take if it's a clear, tom- clear day tomorrow. So I don't even know what the moon cycle is. So what's the moon doing, Herbie? So is not, it full? No. All right. right. So tell me why the moon's important. Or if it was a full moon, then I'd be predicting that we're going to have a frost. And if we're having a frost, then they would absolutely be on those sunny faces. But I think given last night being 25 degrees, I haven't been out tonight, but I suspect it's a fair bit colder than that. But if it's not as cold, they're probably less reliant on that. And they're going to be focused in more on those zones where there's bulk feed. A couple of the areas where Herbie's got the clover feeding, like starting to pop up, they're going to be zeroing in on those areas rather than up the top where it's just standard bush grass so that's why i think marty mentioned that there was some hinds on the first afternoon they come in just camped up in the blackberries right there yeah they were but they're unmolested animals because rob hasn't been up here for a week but not only that 50 meters away you've got clover shooting up everywhere and, and those hinds are there for the clover not for the blackberries because the blackberries are there's it's all old there's growth there's very yeah. little fresh growth on it yep. yeah yeah mm. so i agree i'd be looking at sunny faces in the morning because it is re- still reasonably cold but i'd also be looking at where the high feed is and feed that they can feed a bit longer because they missed out they weren't out as early as they should have been today so they should have been out three hours before dark tonight given the conditions but they weren't because of the wind because of all those other things and they would have still been browsing but not bulk feed so a samba needs an average samba needs maybe seven kilos of feed in a 24-hour period so seven kilos of grass is a hell of a lot of grass or, or or roughage or whatever it is so this afternoon they would have been getting their browse but it's very minimal and then they'll be looking at trying to get that and if they're not getting that amount of feed and using up energy and trying to stay warm, they need to get out and about. So they're just looking for bang for the buck and it's it's that high nutrient feed, which is the ryegrass, it's the clover, the stuff that Herbie has laid out and is starting to shoot up. So the deer can come in and get much more in a shorter amount of time. Mm-hmm. So... My my gut feel is we do the same walk we did. We'll probably start lower and, and push up, push up yep. and then cut around higher up and then drop back down again if yep. if and just follow the sign as we're seeing it. Yep. You yeah. got something, Marty? You got a question? All good. Okay. Switch the weather, and just I'm just going to say they're relying on my information tonight because I was the only one that waited till dark. But 
Moving on. Um, if tomorrow is... So, to be fair, I come back as camp bitch to cook the roast, so... But I found Herbie in his leopard print G-banger, so mm. in the heart. Go I figure. Was, I was the entertainment <laughs> captain, and I was fulfilling my pre-dinner duties. You were fill, fulfilling your own, not anybody else's. No one else's that, that you, you make. <laughs> So okay. if anyone can remember Silence of the Lambs and Buffalo Bill oh. dancing around in front of the mirror, that's what I was confronted with oh. when I come back to Herbie. That's the, Brief and gravy rolls. Sorry, on. guys. That's the image we can't get out of. We're going to have to move that on. Okay, tomorrow we're clear. We're similar today today. Okay, so we're not sunny. We're, we move in tomorrow, so I'm just trying to paint a scenario for the listeners. Um, we move into tomorrow that's rainy, a bit drizzly in the morning. Are they not going to be out? Like they're just, they're going to shut down again, waiting for that sun, or they're going to try and chase that feed again? Do they, are they pushed? For Jeez, me personally, I've if, got it's, them now. if it's still it's still that chance of it being um, changing from cold to colder in shorter periods of time, mm-hmm. I would be still looking for them to be feeding only just in front of that feed. The, just that, that cover again. That cover. Yep. Because if it absolutely pours down on them and they're already poor in energy, mm-hmm. they need to get back in there. Yep. How this this is me knowing this area. Yep. Um, they'll scoot back in there and then sit in there, and then wait for that break, mm-hmm. and then come back out and feed again, then scoot back in, and just do that on Let's and go off. back and forth. Yeah. Yep. Until right. they're comfortable. Yep. Josh, similar. Yeah. So. Give it. It just it comes back down to that needing a certain amount of feed mm-hmm. in a 24-hour period. So they can bunker down. You might get a 36-hour period that they just hold up and they're not eating at all, but they're going to come out and they are absolutely starving and they're just going to spend much longer than usual. And that's when the people are going to find that they've seen mature samba stags a kilometre out in a paddock just oblivious to what's going on. And that's because most likely the two days prior... Uh, yeah, two days prior, he was just holed up in a gully because it was just hideous weather and he just didn't eat at all. So then that he's found himself out in desperate need. Quite so up. it's that feast or famine type yep. setup. So yep. I would say if they're not out feeding now, which I suspect they will be because mm-hmm. we've, got the, backed off. Yep. we've got the weather that we wanted a couple hours before dark. Yep. So they're out now. They're going to get their feed that they need tonight but Mm -hmm. our objective tomorrow morning is to try and catch them going from where they're getting bulk feed so those clover fields back to where they're planning on bedding Mm -hmm. some of these deer are bedding 50 meters away from that but then and then even this afternoon that stag he he was bedded a couple hundred meters from there or if that gully floor had the clover in it then he was bedded 30 meters from it Mm. so then they don't have the hunting pressure on them. So there's a fair chance you're going to be able to glass up a deer bedded in semi-open conditions if you can find it. So yep. I, I would be backing in the same conversation we had this afternoon, which was get the wind in our favour, get up a little bit up that other side and just contour around and glass, glass the areas the that we knew there was beds and we yep. know there's scrapes. So that's the other thing right now after we just had that rain. Any of those stags that are even potentially rutting or close to rutting, they're just going to be hell-bent on hitting their scrapes as hard as they can because that is their signpost to say that, hey, we're here, ladies. 
the Hines are coming in, they're coming into heat, but the only way that anyone knows who's anywhere is by scrapes and pi- markings. P- pissing in the wallers and marking up the scrapes yep. and definitely after rain events like this, the stags are going to be hitting their scrapes. So mm-hmm. knowing where all the scrapes are or knowing where some are, interceptions the yep. key. So yeah, for I, sure. I think uh, on that point that what I what I've been working hard for the last seven or eight years to create here is a very natural environment for the samba. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're predominantly bow hunt hunting. Yep. Uh, so that they're going to be acting as close to normal as you could possibly find um, with that reduced pressure. Yeah. You know, so what we're saying now may be different if you're living or targeting an area that's uh, heavily dominated by rifle hunters, hound crews, yep. um, and no disrespect to either one of those groups. I've done yep. both. It's just going to change things, that's it, all. It just changes things because yep. the the amount of traffic Pressure. that's in the yep. bush, people, Deagles, sounds, music, etc. Yep. all that sort of stuff. Bad so, music. You had that blaring today. Yeah. So I totally agree. And, and that example about you guys coming in on Friday and seeing those hinds in the yeah. blackberries 50 metres off the clover... That's not happening in a high-hunted area. Yep. Absolutely not. They, those hinds are camping up Gone. a kilometre away up high where they feel safe. So, yep. Whereas here, they feel safe camping 200 metres from the hut. Mm. They've only got to look at the hut to see dead he, deer heads hanging off it. So there's antlers there, there's skulls, there's you name it. There's plenty of sign of deer death, but yet... They're still here. I keep walking around and all I keep seeing is Samba shit all around this hut, <laughs> all within bow Prince, range of everything. the hut. So they don't I'll be disappointed they're not associating this hut with death at all. No, no, definitely but not. Get into high high pressure areas and it's a totally different Turn scenario. And it, you just gotta hunt your areas according to what the pressure is and what the deer behaviours yeah. are and it's, goes back to that last podcast we did and you're better off knowing one spot really really well then a hundred areas bugger all yep and yep. it comes down to that same thing where are the scrapes yep where are the wallows where where do they bet where are the sunny faces no, what do they valley. do when it's windy where are the quiet zones when is it pissing them, down with rain go? where's some thick cover for them mm-hmm. where's the best feed like all of those questions and it all gives you that paints that picture for you so herbie's in the perfect place where he's got seven years worth of knowledge seven years worth of managing the herd and reducing some of the rubbish out of it, which mm-hmm. probably was associated with inbreeding and things like that because there was no form of animal management. Mm-hmm. And and he's got he can control it all. Yep. So he builds a dam. The dam hasn't filled up, but the deer turn it into a wallow while there's some mud there. Like yep. everything that Herbie does here... Impact exactly yeah, how, yeah impact. absolutely so mm. it all every action has a reaction and yep. for the deer if it's for the betterment yeah and this will be because herbie's done bulk clearing and he's throwing rye grass out and oats and all of this trying to create a samba haven so mm-hmm. to speak or yep. a bow hunter's haven and he certainly is doing the right thing and yeah i think just to add to that um the more that i get older the more that i hunt deer the more i actually love seeing them mm. and i get a real they're pretty cool get a real buzz out of seeing mature deer 
in the bush. Yeah. You know, I really, really do. And it's it, it's not because I want to increase my chances. I've got hundreds of photos of deer that I've let walk. It's more so that I really want to create an opportunity for mm-hmm. the next generation yep. um, to be able to come and share my love mm. and try and pass that on, whether it's to my grandkids yep. um, or whether it's to Marty's kids, mm. that they can come and they can actually see deer in a real life no fence. Well, probably a little bit more relaxed environment. Their own yeah. environment is probably the better way to put it. Yep. It's not pressure. So they're doing yeah, their own sort of. Yeah. They're doing their own things. I'm gonna. I'll flip. I'm gonna flip before I get everyone's uh, closing words. Tell us a little bit about your knives, mate. Um, you've been in it for a, a little while. Yep. R and N blades. It's Robert and Naomi. Yep. Uh, that's where we get the R and N from. Um, I started uh, making knives a long time ago as a simple hobby yep um i've now invested quite a lot of money in tooling and they're still all handmade yep um you know i i just really 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 enjoy Mm. making knives some people are lucky in this life that we live that they find something in their life that they are actually good at some people come onto the earth they travel through life and they leave at the other end and it's just been incidental Mm mm-hmm other people come onto the earth, they travel the life, and they just say, well, that was crap, I hated it, didn't want to be there. Other people find that they're really good at cycling. Mm-hmm. Some people are really good at painting. I'm really good at knife making. Yep. And I love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. I can be out in the workshop 14 hours a day. Mm. I just really love it. It's really good therapy. Well, you were saying you need you to know. get here so you stop making knives. So, yeah, this is a forced stop. Yep. You know, so I think for me... One of the biggest kicks I get is the fact that um, well and truly after I've left this planet, someone will have one of my knives that they will say, this was grandpa's knife. Yep. And he had heaps of deer and it was made by this bloke. Mm. You know, leave a positive footprint. Mm. I had know. a fluffy sparrow's knife. Yeah, well, I did try to make you something that was going to... Is it fluffy sparrow or Thor's hammer? Oh. I'm confused because it went from one to the other. Depends on what time of the day. Yeah. Marty? No comment. Yeah, <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah, so anyway, um, I make a lot of my knives out of sandbar antlers. Yep. Uh, a lot of people have made comment on how can you actually... Josh has given me a whole bunch of heads that people would be more than happy to have put on the wall. Mortified. You know, tw- 28s, 30s, yeah. that sort of thing. And people almost get a little upset mm. that I put them through the bandsaw. Josh is 36 or bust, so... Well, you know, it's... You know. <laughs> but on the same time, I, I look at the fact that it gives that antler an opportunity to live again. Yeah. So a lot of people, they'll admire their head that they've shot. Some people, if it's their only samba head that they have that may be on the wall forever other people have a stack of different heads out in the work out in their garage or in their dead tree or whatever yep the fact that i can turn that back into usable tool and they get a an australian samba antlered knife Mm. that's pretty cool hanging on their hip it's pretty cool And, and the story lives again yep you know so dad shot this and then herbie turned it into a knife and now i'm hunting with it yep that's pretty cool that's cool are you Open to the public, like do you just take orders? What's the how's all that work? No, I'm really, 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 really busy at the moment. He um, tells us this, but he's actually up at his hut weekly, so yeah. he's not that busy. 
um, on, on all seriousness, though, that um, it's only me. People expect R&M Blades to be a little factory. Mm. And I've had people message me and say, oh, I don't know whether the office has sent on my email or um, I've sent three messages today and no one's answered me back, you know. Well, that's me. There isn't an office. So I get um, a minimum of 35 inquiries a day yep. and trying to deal with that. Yep. Um, plus do the builds and also try and focus on going back the step why I make knives. Yep, yep. You know, so it, it isn't a full-time business for me just to make money. The primary, primary sort of um, reason why primary reason why I go and make knives is that it gives me, I guess, a little bit of positive back into my soul. Sure. Create something useful that someone finds good value in and... You know, I'll have a better day. You're half decent at it too. So, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just uh, just have patience, I guess, for the listeners that um, are waiting two years or whatever else. You know, it's not a the experience that you'll have with me in a shopping experience, so to speak. It isn't like going to Aussie Disposals and saying, "Well, can't you get one in next week?" Mm. And everything's made by hand, and I actually care about the knife that's going out. Sometimes I might finish a knife that's a, a weak build, and it stuffs up somewhere along the lines. Mm. it's not going out so I've got to build that again yeah so yeah I'll just turn up yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright Josh closing going thoughts mate what about Marty no your closing thoughts first so I feel that I've been unfairly targeted by you mob bullshit you've been barbing me all night but <laughs> <laughs> Fair is fair, I guess, so I'll cop it on the chin. Um, yeah, Rob's certainly creating a, a haven here for the deer, and it's a exciting place to be. I'm grateful to get an invite down. I was not going to even bring a weapon. I did bring one. I've just left it in the car the whole time. Previous time, I took you out. I didn't anything. take a weapon at all. It was just my camera, and yeah, I'm just happy to be in the bush. Just happy to enjoy it. Happy to it. share the experience. And you love it. Yeah, Very good. Th- I don't really have much to add other than thanks for the invite, Rob. So, Marty. it's a beautiful place. Yeah, thanks for letting me be part of the podcast. And um, great contribution. Good to good to meet you in the flesh. Like we're talking today. Like social media is like. None of us would have met without yeah. social media. Like, it's got a good thing. There's, there's a good thing about it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bizarre. Like, even you were saying about marketing. Like, there's be no catalogs or newspapers or magazines in ten years. It'll be all internet, social media, and it's pretty crazy to be honest. Mm. But there is a lot of hate on social media, but there is a lot of good to come out as well. So we can just wrap to say like this weekend has been really good to actually meet people in the flesh and who knows what will happen in the future like for sure exactly so yeah thanks a lot craig and always feel privileged to come up here herbie like especially tracing around up in the bluffs and we're up at the top of hell and you don't see any deer then you'll always like oh I'll come back to herbie's and see, see, see a few and yeah it's just nice to chase them with the camera or the gun whatever or the bow yeah, just happy to see him in the flesh, I guess, yeah. Good stuff, mate, Herbie. Just thanks for coming, seriously. I mean, you've come interstate and a long drive. It took Josh six hours to come over. Um, for me, having good mates around is a really good structure for me. 
meeting new people, you know, it's um, been a pleasure. Awesome, mate. Yeah, and I'll just uh, very much the same lines, you know, plan to take out the conversation on deer again, but uh, Josh, as always, thanks for dragging my ass around. Marty, thanks for the tech tips. Herbie, thanks for the invite, mate, and uh, and I've, I've got to say, mate, the knife, yeah, definitely touching, very, very touching, and uh, I'll, honestly, I was lost of words this morning, mate, so thank you, and um, we better go to bed so we can go to Maiden. Marty needs to finish off with an, oh, Herbie. <laughs> Give us one. You were there for that. You were Go on. Humor. Do it. Ah, uh, Herbie. <laughs> we're out. <laughs> you. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. This episode was proudly brought to you by Hoyt Bowhunting. I recently had the pleasure of taking a tour of the Hoyt factory in Salt Lake City in Utah. It's no wonder why so many bowhunters around the world put their trust in a Hoyt. Seeing the process start to finish under one roof going through over 50 inspection stations throughout the build process, there is no doubt they are the most reliable and shootable bow on the market. Get serious, get Hoyt. That's all for me this week. Good luck in the hills and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.